0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to this second part of the conversation I had with Representative Mark Alford from the 4th District of Missouri. Great conversation. Uh, He is a former newsman, uh, had a distinguished career in the news as an anchor person and uh, ran a very popular, I think the most popular morning show um, in Kansas City for a very long time. He's now working as one of the U.S. state representatives and I just want to say that I, number one, I very much appreciated uh, everything that he shared. He is uh, seemingly a great influence there in Washington. I think his news skills are going to. Um, really help him to represent the people of his district. And I also appreciated a couple of other things. Number one, he mentioned that he has Bible studies there in the Capitol. Now, I know a few other people in Washington, D.C., and uh, have been involved in meeting different Christian congressmen, um, as well as sitting through uh, some Bible studies uh, there in the U.S. Capitol. And I just think it's encouraging for all of us to recognize that the u.s representatives the folks that are representing us aren't just sort of faceless politicians these are devoted christians who are thinking seriously about their faith and who are really trying to do right by god as they exercise their role in the political sphere extremely important i think for us to recognize I also think the other thing that I very much appreciated was his comments regarding the fentanyl epidemic and the uh, open houses or small group sort of forums that he's holding. Uh, As we think about Christians being the hands and feet of Christ, it's extremely important for us to remember that our politicians are to some degree, especially the Christian politicians are to some degree doing a specialized version of that. Uh, they are really trying to influence the political realm and to speak truth in that political realm so that as the government sort of looks out and and seeks to do its job, which I believe government does have a role as ordained by God, um, that the government is aligning more closely with a moral order that aligns with what we find in scripture. Now, I think that Christians need to be praying for our government. We need to be speaking out against um, things like tyranny and oppressive practices and abuse of people, dehumanization. We've talked about a lot of those things in various different ways across these programs. Um, But I, I do think that there needs to be a clear separation between the church and the state. And so what I would say is that the church and the state, and this is as early as a, a Baptist preacher named uh, Isaac Bacchus uh, talks in the, in the 18th century, talks about you know the separation of the church and state, that both the church and the state have a God-ordained status. Um, they both have a purpose, but they can't accomplish those purposes if the two are combined. The two need to remain separate. And so as uh, as I talk with um, Congressman Alford, the one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, I I really began to recognize the tensions that exist for Christians in government in a different way, um, because I believe he's a sincere Christian individual working within the political realm. And it is very difficult to keep those two realms separate. And so my encouragement to all of us is, number one, to realize that the church does not rise and fall with America, that uh, America is a great nation. America is a great place to live. Um, I've enjoyed the blessings that God has brought uh, through uh, America uh, up to this point. And I think all of us have enjoyed the freedoms that we've been given um, as we've lived as citizens within America. Uh, Many of us have benefited from living in America. At the same time, uh, the church is not America. The church is something completely separate, and we will reap the benefits of being Christians, being part of Christ's body, even if America falls tomorrow. And so as we think about the work that Mark Alford is trying to do, what I would encourage us to do is, number one, pray for him um, and and for all the other Christian representatives who are working in that governmental realm. And my recommendation is we pray for them, not only to persevere and just in just remaining faithful in a field that is fraught with opportunities to compromise, but also giving them real wisdom to speak God's truth within that space and to critique the the powers that be, sometimes to their detriment. They These folks who are working in the political realm are occupying a really difficult space, and so we want to be with them, encourage them in prayer. And I think that the third thing I would recommend is that we pray for them, not because we're so concerned that America lasts forever. I think America, like all the other nations, are going to fall away. Um, You know, unless Jesus comes tomorrow, America will go like Babylon or Egypt or the Medo-Persian Empire or the Greco-Roman Empire. These empires are not around anymore. And I don't know that the United States is an eternal kingdom. Uh, I don't think it'll last forever. And so when we pray for these folks, what we really want to be praying for them for is that they are able to bring glory to God's kingdom, that they are able to represent the church well, and that they are able to do that in an environment that interacts with the state, which is um, a an agent of God in the sense that. The state exists to exact justice, to maintain some level of order, and really to restrain evil in a broad public way. And so uh, hopefully through all that, what you're hearing is uh, my deep appreciation for the work that Mark Alford does, um, but also my uh, my theological conviction that the church and the state really are separate, and that while we can't ignore the state, that what we really are doing is we are sending people out like Mark Alford, who hopefully has been discipled well and very much seems to have been discipled well within the church to speak truth and represent Christ in an extremely difficult realm. Enjoy the conversation between myself, uh, Nate Giarrantano, and Mark Alford uh, this week. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. I'm happy to introduce Representative Mark Alford today, uh, from the 14th Congressional District of Missouri. I hope I got all that right. Uh, and uh, we're excited to have him here, just to ask him a few questions, both about his uh, his previous work as a newest anchor, but also now his, his new work in the political realm. And uh, Mark, I was just really hoping that you'd uh, fill us in a little bit first on where you're from, your family, and sure. your faith. Hey, James,
1: thanks so much. Uh, Mark Alford, uh, I like to say all Ford, no Chevy, although I had a uh, Chevy that went Four hundred thirty-five thousand miles of suburban that uh, <laughs> took the kids around all over the U.S. in and hauled some horses in. Anyway, uh, I'm in. I represent the fourth congressional district of Missouri, seven hundred seventy-four thousand twenty-seven constituents. Uh, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, politically agnostic—I represent them all. Try to listen to everyone. Um, my wife is a native of Kansas City. This district is just south of Kansas City. It encompasses 24 counties. Uh, and yes, during the campaign, I went to all of them at least once, uh, drove more than 70,000 miles uh, meeting people during the campaign and continued to do so. We were just out on the uh, in the district today uh, talking and listening to people. Our district goes south of Kansas City, down to Springfield, over to Lake of the Ozarks, and up to Columbia, where the University of Missouri is. And kind of hugs I seventy, which uh, bisects America. Uh, we're I like to say we are in the heart of Missouri, which is in the heart of America. And um, very honored to be representing the people here. Um, this was not ever on my radar to do this job. I, I firmly believe God gave me the direction to be here today, sitting here talking uh, with you, James, and um, kind of sharing our story. I. I grew up in Baytown, Texas, which is 20 miles east of Houston on the Houston Ship Channel. It's where uh, uh, General Sam Houston won Texas's independence from Mexico, defeating Santa Ana there at the Battle of San Jacinto. My dad was a, a special Texas Ranger, uh, ag teacher, uh, entrepreneur, later worked in the funeral industry there in Houston, uh, cemetery business. My mom was a school bus driver uh and she, in fact she's here with us right now in kansas city spending two weeks and kind of uh, cooling off from the houston heat i still have some brothers who live down there in houston area and uh, we moved here in 1998 i had uh, started out in broadcasting pretty early on when i was in college at the university of texas i got my first on-air internship as a sophomore actually investigating tow truck drivers i had always wanted to be in the in the news business, communication business. I was always a storyteller, always writing stories down in journals and and uh, communicating with people. But uh, I got uh, kind of got the bug for TV early on. My uncle was an anchorman in Oklahoma City and uh, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be a, a news anchor, a reporter. He wasn't so much a reporter journalist as I uh, later became. Um, so I did that, uh, interned on the air in college at the university of Texas, uh, in the late eighties, I got my first full-time job in Waco at the CBS affiliate there, uh, uh, and had a great time. That's where I met my wife. She was a producer there at the TV station. In fact, we kind of competed for the same job, uh, and I got it. And, uh, I like to say we've been in competition ever since, but, (laughs) She really understands me and gets me. And uh, we fell in love, got married in 1989 at the Church of Christ there in Waco, Texas. Uh, We moved to West Palm Beach. I was the environmental reporter. She worked for a TV station and the NBC affiliate in uh, Miami. And um, in the early 90s, we moved back to Texas to uh, anchor and report for the Fox station in Dallas. And uh, I covered politics down in Austin, Texas, always had a love of politics, uh, covered George W. Bush and his run for governor and never thought I would be in politics. When we moved uh, from there to Houston, uh, I got to anchor in my hometown, which I thought I had arrived. I was in my late yeah. 20s, early 30s. And I thought, wow, I've I've <laughs> hit a home run here. Yeah. Uh, but that's not where God wanted me. He he brought us here to Kansas City 25 years ago to anchor the morning show here at the Fox station. And um, that's it. I decided two years ago that I had had enough of TV. We can get into that a little bit. Uh, but um, I, uh, this was not on my radar. Uh, I, I stepped out in faith and gave up everything I have to, to do this, to run for this office. I gave up my job, my paycheck, my security, Um yeah. A little bit of sanity, perhaps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my wife really is a trooper, gave up everything. I mean, uh, yeah. we had it set and God, uh, we can get into the story, but just really pushed me out this window and told me to fly. And I've never done anything like this in my life. I've yeah. never stepped out on faith to do something. And he has rewarded me at every step. Everything has just fallen into place like that. And that's I think that's when you know it's God.
0: You know, when you 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 said a couple of things I want to kind of touch on. So I'll I'll kind of walk through them. But, you know, you've referenced I actually watched a couple of interviews you did with some other folks and you referenced your uncle um, as a news anchor and said that you kind of admired him. Um, What was it about what he was doing that you admired and what 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 made you what gave that you your your first zeal, I suppose, or your first interest in really telling stories and telling stories on the news?
1: My uncle was an interesting character. My uh, mom early on said that I looked like him. I have three brothers and and uh, it's funny now because I really look like my dad used to look. But uh, uh, my uncle had a certain charisma and a way of treating people that made them feel special, I think. Uh, he was an entertainer. He started out as a DJ, I think, in Wichita Falls, Texas. He anchored at all three stations in Oklahoma City. And he never was, I said this, he was never like a journalist. He was more old school. They they recruited him out of uh, uh, being a DJ because he was good looking and had a great voice. And in the <laughs> late 70s, it was kind of like the Ron Burgundy. I mean, he wasn't dumb like Ron Burgundy, don't get me wrong. But it was that mindset. It was, it was a lot of entertainment. Um, yeah. They wouldn't never call it entertainment, but it it was entertainment. Uh, I think the journalism was added by the uh, the reporters who, who brought the stories and told the stories. He is funny because I would hang out with him. I would fly up on Southwest Airlines back when they first started out in the seventies and. 80s. And uh, I would fly up there and spend some weeks with him in the summer. And he always tried to discourage me from getting uh, into the TV business. And I never exactly knew why. Hmm. Uh, I think that um, he thought I should go into sales or be a photographer. I was into photography uh, at one time pretty heavily, had me on Darkroom and made movies and all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, I think he saw it as a, a hard life. Uh, and it It is if you don't have an understanding spouse. There's a lot of divorce in television news. Hmm. You have to move around a lot. Um, I I, I say you have to move on to move up in the business. If you're a reporter at a TV station, it's hard for you to become an anchor. And being an anchor is where the money Hmm. is and where the prestige is. Not always, but in a lot of senses. Um, And so I was always moving on because I wanted to move up. We yeah. we lived in nine different houses before we wow. moved here. Wow. Uh we moved a lot and I tell people we were keeping ahead of the creditors, but that's not the truth. We were just <laughs> I was moving up to the next level, the next position. Yeah. Uh and finally landed this great job. I actually took when we moved here in 1998, we wanted to move here so badly. Uh Leslie's parents lived here. We they were elderly. They both since passed, but yeah. We wanted to take care of them. Uh, and I took a, a step down in market size from the ninth largest market to the 33rd largest market and a 30% pay cut, um, which was kind of a blow to my ego, you know, because I was on my this upward tra- trajectory. And once you do that, it's hard to get back up into that uh, trajectory in this business. But I interviewed a lot of different places trying to get out of here. and. I never could get a job. And I had, I mean, we had the number one show in town. We, Our ratings, when I left, we beat all the other stations combined in the number of eyeballs that were watching us in the morning. And it wasn't just me. It was our team. Um, I kind of led the team, but we all had our roles to play. And uh, so when I decided to move on, uh, that was a lot to give up.
0: Yeah. Do you think there There's a correlation between, you know, giving up and moving from that ninth largest market to the 36th, I think you said, thirty sixth largest market, 33rd 33rd largest market. And then, you know, now taking this next risk and sort of moving into politics, you know, I mean, was that sort of a preparatory God, you know, sort of checking your ego a little bit, pulling it down just a tad and then getting you ready to do something uh, even more, uh, you know, out of the out of the realm of your comfort zone?
1: I think you're right, James. I didn't
0: realize it at the time. And I I have a speech
1: that I've done for a couple of years, and it talks about choices. Um, Ronald Reagan had a similar speech. I didn't rip it off from him, but um, (laughs) I I do love Ronald Reagan. I do quote him quite a bit, and we'll get into that uh, a little bit uh, because of a promise I made to God um, early on. But um, I do know this life is about choices. And when you, I'm going to turn 60 October 4th. And when you start getting a little bit older, I don't think I'm old, but when you get maybe 40, 45, 50, you start looking back at the life, your life and the choices that you made and the decisions that you made and how God has woven that really into a tapestry that is your life. Now, when you're when that's being woven together by each decision, each choice, each job, each relationship, that's a stitch in that tapestry. You can't really see it, though, until you step back and look at the picture that God has woven in your life. And God talks about that in, in Proverbs. Um, you know, we we make our plans, but God directs our paths. And I think if we're living in him and trying to live in his will, and I Lord knows I haven't always done that. But he seems to, I know he does, he takes those mistakes, those sins, those um, stupid things that we do. And because he has a plan and purpose for each of us, he turns that into something beautiful. And I was pretty much at my wit's end uh, being in television. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, I I was doing real estate on the side. I, I had a a custom clothing company made custom suits for a long time. And I thought, maybe I'm just going to to leave that this profession that I had so much passion for since I was in fifth grade and give that up and just do real estate. My daughter's getting married. Leslie and I will go to Cancun a lot, hang out on the beach and <laughs> have a wonderful life. But that's not what God It was not and is not finished with the tapestry that he is weaving in my life. And it's not the more I'm in Washington, the more I'm in this district, the more I'm visiting with people and talking with them. Um and, and last night's a great example. We had a fentanyl forum. I gotta tell you this story in a little bit. I know I'm spider webbing here, but no, you're um, great. The more people that I meet. That God brings into my life that He has given me the opportunity to look in the eyeball and hear exactly what's on their hearts, souls, and minds. I know without a doubt that this is a divine plan that He has me on. I don't want to sound arrogant. In television, I was living for me and my fame and my glory a lot and um, putting others behind me. And uh, I have some regrets for that. Um, I think in a lot of cases, because I wanted to move up and move on, uh, I sometimes put my family behind me and some of their needs. Um, Thank God they stuck with me. Uh, They know I'm a flawed individual, but I'm trying to do the best I can. And um, I think the more that I turn towards God for his uh, leadership in my life, the more he's honoring that and putting me in contact with these people with amazing stories that need healing. Our country needs healing. Our country is is broken. Uh, and one of the things I did early on when I prayed about this decision with Leslie and we got wise counsel from a lot of people, um, I, I said, you know, God, I'm going to mention you in every speech that I do because it's you who are pushing me out this window to make this jump. And I owe it to you to try to proclaim your glory and the glory of Jesus Christ and one of the ways I do that is uh, the speeches that I gave on the campaign trail. And I can, I've can i done this on the House floor. Uh, and I, I never get the quote exactly right. And so if you look this up, Google it. It's a speech that Ronald Reagan did. And I talk about how broken we are as a country and how more divided that we are than really any time, I think, than the Civil War. And um, he said something in this effect that he had— he had an answer for the, our division in America in the in the 80s. He said, "It's time for us to reassert our trust in God. It's time for us to realize that we need Him more than He needs us. It's time to turn to God for the healing of America."
2: Amen. And that
1: is from the President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. We have lost that in America. We have we have taken our our gaze off of the 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 living god who who through his providence and protection we, without that we would not be here as a nation we would not be founded upon the principles of our christian judeo um, law system um the integrity that we have in our democracy this republic that we hold dear everything that we have in this country is directly attributable uh, to god almighty and we have stepped away from that as a nation and uh it it I'm fearful. I'm fearful of where we are as a nation right now and what could be ahead.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Richard Beatty on this edition of Christian Resistance. James, I'd like to start on the name change for the radio show and and podcast from Useful to God to Christian Resistance. Uh, there's no gradual way of making that change, and there may be some confusion to what Christian Resistance means. Part of it is that uh, we will be moving to a daily radio slash podcast that will have different formats and functions. Our Mondays will stay pretty conversational. And then as we widen the lens, literally, on YouTube and uh, do more interviews, we will unveil the Behind the Curve series of uh, those stories that have fallen off the news cycle. Explain what Christian resistance means and how it is different that, than what people are are hearing in the media.
0: Yeah, Christian Resistance is uh, both the name we're changing the uh, podcast to, as well as the name of my most recent book, Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Jesus. And really the basic idea of Christian Resistance is just this, is that Christians exist in the world to obey the Lord, not to follow the conventions of society, not to... Uh, adopt the logics of society, but really to develop a different way of making sense of the world that assumes that God exists, that God is active and presence in our lives. And so to practice Christian resistance really is about following Jesus in the most extreme way possible. And it's it's this idea that we adopt biblical and theological thought and we adopt a biblical and theological way of making sense of the world. Um, I've said this before on the, on the broadcast and on the podcast, but uh, the way I usually phrase it is we learn to look with eyes that see and listen to ears with hear. And so as we think about Christian resistance and we think about looking with eyes that see and listening with ears that hear... Um, that's what Christian resistance really is all about. It's about identifying the distractions in our lives. It's about pushing back on those and retaining our shape as Christians in a world that would pressure us to conform less to the image of Christ and more to the image of something else in the world.
2: That's a good explanation. And um, I'm hoping that uh, we, well, well, I know we're going to be repeating this, uh, this explanation Several times uh, during the course of, of broadcasting and podcasting. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. I'm Richard Beatty, and for James Spencer, have a great week.